any first time buyer. Um, we had a problem with the sewage lagoon, despite having in writing from the government that it had been built according to code by a previous owner, it in fact was not. And all that burden of, of repairing the mobile, uh, repairing the sewage lagoon worked out to be a little over $500,000. That expense fell to me. So I would not buy that. <laughs> What a year 2020 was. Um, 2021 is here and I hope you're hitting the ground running. I know we are here at Dwelling. We've just got a deal on the contract. We're going to be closing on soon. Um, for those that have joined us on that deal, um, you know what I'm talking about. If you are saying, what am I talking about? Then you need to take your investing game to the next level in this year. So make sure you join the dwelling deal list, it's an exclusive deal list. Um, not only do you get access to our deals quickly, but you also get tips and tricks about, you know, how you can take your, your investing game to the next level this year. So if you are not on the dwelling deal list, click on the link in the show notes or just go to dwelling.com. Um, that's DW. E L L Y N N.com or just go to investwithola.com and just sign up. Sign up, sign up, sign up. Thank you so much for joining us on the Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got an incredible guest with us today, Lily Jefferson. Hey, Lily, how are you doing? Jefferson Lily. Hello, Ola. How are you? <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Doing well. I'm so, so happy to have you on the show today. Um, Really excited to jump in. Um, the mobile home park space has been something um, very interesting to, to me and our firm here. So I, I can't wait to jump in with you. Great. Awesome. So tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are, um, kind of what you've been up to and what you've been up to lately, actually. Yeah. So uh, I've been in, in, in this business, the mobile home park business, for about 14 years. Uh, <clears throat> kind of discovered it a bit by accident. I was uh, working in high tech at the time and, you know, had been through the dot-com boom and bust and was basically looking for some stable passive income and thought I would buy an apartment building. Uh, and in researching apartments, I then came across uh, mobile home parks. They are multifamily. They started showing up in the search results. Um, so I, uh, I kind of stumbled into it. I was looking for income and then kind of stumbled specifically into mobile home parks. Um, but uh, been, been very happy investing in the business. Did, uh, I bought a couple of parks on my own with my own capital. And then uh, starting uh, six, uh, about seven years ago, started raising outside capital uh, and have now raised three funds and I'm about to launch a fourth fund uh, to, to go buy still more mobile home parks. Oh, fascinating. I mean, I, I love the fact that you, you stumbled upon it. I'm just kind of imagining you online trying to find an apartment and then you, <laughs> you see all, all this bunch of you know, mobile home parks, which is, you know, like I said, is the same asset class, you know, sub asset class of multifamily. Still multifamily. Correct, correct. And, 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 you know, now you're, you're obviously in that space. So I kind of want to ask you a question. I always ask every single, you know, mobile home park investor, I've, you know, interviewed on the show. 
why is mobile homes in general and mobile home parks just not a, a sexy investment strategy? Why, why do you think that is? You know, it it get, the business gets what what I've coined the the term mobile home park PR, and you know it just seems any anytime anything bad happens in a mobile home park, there's some crime, or it gets hit by a tornado, the press you know is there filming it and talking about you know how bad it is, um, but. You know, the fact of the matter is, you know, 99.99% of the time out there, you know, nothing happens. And it's never news to send a reporter into a mobile home park to say like, hey, all the rent came in and there are little children playing on their tricycles over there and the trees are growing and the sun is shining and all the rent has come in, everything is fine. That's not news. But that's the reality, you know, 99.99% of the time that things are just fine. Certainly they're not all, you know, you're not constantly dealing with, you know, drug problems or other crime anyway, but I don't know. It, it just, they really do seem to get a bad reputation. Um, undeservedly so the 99.99% the of the folks that live in mobile home parks are perfectly honest, hardworking folks. Um, uh, but the, the media certainly uh, seems to have it out for, for mobile home parks. Yeah, very fascinating. And I've heard nothing but just great, um, you know, just great returns and great news out of that space. Uh, Sam, um, Sam Zewat, I think it's one of, is one of the largest um, investors. And I think Warren Buffett's got some stake in that space as well. So those, those are no dummies. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm aspiring to be uh, the, the, the Sam Zell and the Warren Buffett of, of this business. I'm not sure I'll ever quite get there, but that's uh, the, 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 those guys I, I follow quite closely. And I'm actually a small shareholder in both uh, Sam Zell's company, Equity Lifestyle Properties, uh, and Warren Buffett's company, of course, Berkshire Hathaway. So... Smart. Smart. I've got exposure to the mobile home park business, both directly through what I own and then some through some of my stock holdings. Wow. Love that. So I, I've got to ask, I've got to ask Jefferson. So you, you basically, you know, stumbled upon this asset class. I want to kind of rewind back a little bit. Why did you even start that search, right? Why did you want to get into real estate investing? You know, what were you doing before? What made that, you know, that move? Yeah, so I had spent uh, most of my 30s uh, after, after business school, spent most of my 30s working in high tech. I was in sales. Uh, I worked uh, over that 10-year period at three different companies, uh, all of which were ultimately acquired. Uh, none of them quite uh, became, you know, Google. <laughs> none of them were a huge success, but... Uh, we had a, a, an okay acquisition and a couple of somewhat less than okay acquisitions. But I really wanted to have some stable income and something that would be counter cyclical to high tech stock options and to the high tech market generally. And as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a Berkshire, half small Berkshire shareholder, um, and I go out every well, every other year, roughly, I go out to Omaha and hear Warren Buffett 
speak uh, in person at a shareholders meeting, which is a great thing to do. Um, but you know, among other things that Buffett teaches, he teaches you to stay within your circle of competence. Now, why I would have thought I had any real circle of competence getting into real estate, <laughs> having never owned it before, but I just really figured, Ola, that you know, I'd always lived in a house or an apartment building. So I figured, okay, I know something about apartment buildings. Let me try and buy one of those. Uh, I live out here in San Francisco, California. I knew I was not going to find affordable real estate here. Uh, <clears throat> but I started looking in the Midwest, uh, just on, on websites like LoopNet, and would search, you know, in like Ames, Iowa, multifamily, there would be 99 apartment buildings there at like an eight cap rate. Again, this was like 2005 pricing at an eight cap. And then there'd be one mobile home park at like 10 cap. And I thought, that's absurd. I'm not going to buy a friggin' trailer park. And I would delete the search and do another search in Lubbock, Texas or Omaha, Nebraska. I kept getting hit over the head, you know, five or 10 times with this quirky little, quirky little niche within the broader uh, multifamily world of all apartments that seemed to pay more money. So I then just started uh, doing research on them. I figured, well, I guess they're multifamily. Why don't I look into these things? Uh, <clears throat> and started buying books uh, and listening to, you know, tapes, books and tapes and doing all that I could to get educated on it. Um, I put together an unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys that all owned mobile home parks. And I would then run deals by them. And they would say, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. Or they'd say like, Jefferson, on this deal, I don't know, the, the key issue is X. Go figure out this one issue on this deal and then you'll know if it's a park to buy. So um, certainly I did a lot of book learning, but also found it enormously helpful to just talk on the phone one-on-one -on -one with people about specific deals, people that had been there and done that and, and knew the business. Um, so that, that's how I got into it. I still spent from the time I first discovered it in late 05, it took about 17 months until March of 07 before I actually bought my, cl closed on my first park. I was learning, I put in some offers on some mobile home parks, got out bid, uh, but finally found uh, a park to buy, which I still own to this day. And uh, again, bought another park. And now with outside capital, I've bought uh, about another 35 mobile home parks over the last uh, seven years. Yeah. Wow. Just fascinating. I mean, you still own the same park. Um, yeah. Yeah. Still own that first one for better <laughs> or for worse. I'd never buy it now. Knowing what I know now, I'd never buy it. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Actually, I find that curious. <clears throat> yeah, so um, the park is on all private utilities, well water and a sewage lagoon, which I do not advise for any first time buyer. Um, we had a problem with the sewage lagoon 
despite having in writing from the government that it had been built according to code by a previous owner, it in fact was not. And all that burden of, of repairing the mobile, uh, repairing the sewage lagoon worked out to be a little over $500,000. That expense fell to me. <clears throat> so, um, so I would not buy that, <laughs> that kind of part today. I was obviously in it and couldn't get out of it. Um, I was running the park right, and we had dramatically increased profits. We had brought in mobile homes. Uh, we had cleaned up the park. We had bumped rents. So, uh, you know, the park is now worth about three times uh, what I paid for it, um, closer to four. Uh, but I sort of paid for it twice, <laughs> paid for it the first time and then paid for it a second time with the sewage lagoon. So <clears throat> I tend to not buy any parks on private utilities now with outside investor money. Um, <clears throat> and I certainly haven't bought any more sewage lagoons. So for anybody that's thinking of getting in the business, rule number one would be for your first park anyway, just buy a park that's on all city water, city sewer, and that way none of that infrastructure headache would fall to you. So you're in sunny California, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you've got your park in, I'm guessing somewhere, um, not in California? Yes, I've never owned a park in California. So that first park was on the south side of Oklahoma City. Um, probably 80, 85% of the parks that I bought are in the greater Midwest. Uh, we are, for instance, right now, <clears throat> the um, second largest mobile home park owner in Sioux City, Iowa, in that metro. Um, I've sold my holdings in Wichita, Kansas, but I was, I think, the largest or second largest owner in, probably a second largest owner, uh, also in Wichita, Kansas. Um, I've got three properties now in Texas. I've got one in Idaho. Um, I've still got two in Ohio. Almost all that, that I do is in the Midwest. I've, I have in the past owned in, one in Florida, one in uh, Spokane, Washington, and one in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, but almost everything that, that I've bought out of those 35 parks have, have been in the Midwest. You can simply get mobile home parks at a better price there. You can get most real estate at a better price in the Midwest. Uh, <clears throat> and the parks in the Midwest tend to have more upside uh, than the parks closer to the coast, frankly, because the economy is generally stronger and the parks seem to have generally been better run. On the coasts, the parks tend to be full, which means you cannot bring in mobile homes and have that for, for upside. Most of the parks coastal are kind of at 100% of capacity. So you pay more money and you have less upside versus what we typically acquire in the Midwest for. So, you know, when I think of the little bit I know about, you know, American culture and what I know about mobile home parks and, you know, when I think of a mobile home park owner, I don't think of Warren Buffett or Jefferson Lilly or Sam Zell. I think about, you know, this guy maybe with a shotgun and, you know, <laughs> walks into the park, you know, trying yes. to make sure everybody's straight. But here you are in your office in California and you've got parks all over the country. How do you, 
how do you do this? How do you manage all of the operations? Just walk us through maybe a day in life quickly. Yeah, so technology is a big help. Uh, this would be uh, a much harder business, you know, to have tried to have done and scaled, you know, back in the 1980s and 90s, basically before really the internet. Um, so for instance, what we do is we have all of our uh, account, rent accounting uh, happening on a, uh, a hosted cloud-based uh, rent accounting software package called Rent Manager. And there are several that work this way. That's the one we happen to, to like best, but no, no right or wrong answer there. Uh, but what that enables us to do is now our tenants are able to pay their rent online through our website. Our managers are able, we give them a check scanner, just like you would find at a retail store or a bank or what have you. Any checks or money orders our managers can scan uh, and that not only deposits the check, it also updates rent manager to show that a tenant has paid. So um, using technology that way helps us be much more certain, we're never 100%, but helps get us much more certain that for instance, we are collecting all of the rent. And that way <clears throat> our managers don't have to, you know, take a stack of checks and drive to a bank and deposit it, wait in line, you know, technology makes this much easier on us here at headquarters to do all the accounting and collections. And it makes it easier on, on our managers for, for deposits and on our tenants. Our tenants can just sign up through our website. It then connects into rent manager from our website, but they can just set up, you know, a recurring payment of their rent so they don't have to worry about it. And then they never get a late fee. Or if the tenants still wanna do payments one at a time, they, they can do that too. But technology like that makes things much easier. Uh, we do also still, for instance, have our managers just drive through a park with their cell phone, recording a video you know, out their car window as they drive around the park. That way it's almost like we're there and we can really see what the condition is of the park. Is that manager making sure that tenants don't have junk you know, on their front yard and non-running cars? Uh, we still go and visit. And again, I've got asset managers, basically the report to me between the managers and me, there's a layer of, of asset managers those people do go out and visit the parks typically at least twice a year, sometimes more. You know, if it's a problem turnaround park, they might be out there even every month or two. Uh, but we, we do actually still visit the parks, but like using technology, those videos also really helps us track the condition of the parks. Wow, interesting. So you said you've you know done about three funds, and then you're about to, or you're in the process of you know going through the fourth yeah. one. Yeah, We're just launching our fourth in another couple of months, roughly in May of 2021. About another so, three months, we should have our fourth fund launch. Congrats! So I'm just kind of thinking, yeah, I'm just like imagining how that conversation goes with your investors, like, hey, you know, I'm buying mobile home parks, you know, somewhere <laughs> middle America, you know. Um, but I think I've got more of a selfish question. How do you set up a fund? Um, like, what is the process? Can you kind of just walk us through that? 
Sure. So uh, it can be uh, simple or it can be more complex. Uh, a simple fund would just be that you and people you already know just pool some money together. Uh, hopefully you have some sort of a written agreement as to how you're going to split profits. Uh, but if you know people already, if these are people that are friends or you've had some, you know, some real business dealings with, um, and if you don't do things like I'm doing here, coming on a podcast and advertising, if you don't advertise and you know that you're investors, then frankly, there's very little documentation that's required. I still think you should have something written clearly like a subscription agreement, even if it's just a page or two, how everybody is gonna split profits, who's putting in how much money. But again, if, if you're doing that with your own friends and family, you can just, I would start up an LLC, I would get an, an EIN, a tax ID number, you open a bank account with that and your friends all put in money and you then go and, and buy a park. So that is about as simple as it can be to raise a fund. What I do, because I do come on podcasts such as yours, Ola, and I also buy Google keywords on the internet. So because I advertise, uh, I, I'm held to a different standard. This is where it gets more complex. Um, but what the Securities and Exchange Commission says is that um, in exchange for people like me advertising our fund, uh, we, we have to only take money from accredited investors. So those are folks that have a $1 million and up net worth or not and, or that have a $200,000 a year income uh, or 300,000 a year if married. So people can qualify either by assets or by income uh, to, to, to be an accredited investor. And that million dollar net worth has to exclude equity in your primary residence. So I register my funds with the SEC. That's a form that my attorneys really fill out. And it puts the SEC on notice that Jefferson is gonna be advertising, but promises to only take money from accredited investors. So I cannot take money from proverbial widows and orphans. <laughs> I can only take money from people that presumably can afford to lose it. <laughs> and presumably are smart enough to have made the money and know how to evaluate their own uh, investments. Uh, so I do then, so I'm registered with the SEC. I then also have my attorneys prepare a private placement memorandum, which is something like 80 pages of legal words, just warning everybody about all the risks. <laughs> So I pay, you know, typically $15,000 for 80 pages of, of a warning document. <laughs> we call it a private placement memorandum. Uh, but it's that and appended to that really is the subscription agreement. That's the part where an accredited investor actually says, hey, my name is John Doe. You know, here's my social security number. I'm in for a hundred thousand bucks or a million bucks or whatever. Uh, or they can invest as a trust or an LLC. But anyway, people then actually sign those agreements typically online with us. We try not to take any paperwork. 
any physical paper, they sign up and then they uh, wire or ACH uh, their money over to us. The fund has its own EIN, it's an LLC, it has its own bank account, and the fund then goes about acquiring mobile home parks. Um, and my, so my investors get a little bit of a bunch of parks as opposed to just buying into one single park. They're typically investing in 12 to 15 different properties. Um, anyway, so that's how you, how you go about it. Uh, uh, the, uh, we, we started off in a more simple way, but now that I'm operating at a larger scale and advertising again, I now uh, do everything uh, that way, re registering the funds and, and, and raising money that way. Now, cumulatively from, uh, I think, a little over 200 people uh, have invested with me that way. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, before we go into the, the, the quick rounds, I just want you to talk about a case study of a park that you bought. You know, one of your favorites. It doesn't have to be the one you made the most money, but just something, I know you mentioned the first one, but just give us something different. Um, yeah, so uh, one of my favorites is uh, probably one of my most recent acquisitions. It's a park called Breeze Lake. Uh, and the way, it's down in... Um, Brownsville, Texas. That's the way southern tip of Texas down at the end of the finger, uh, so to speak. Um, so it's right near South Padre Island. Um, and the website, which we're just about to get put up, will be breezelake.com. Uh, but it is both a mobile home park and an RV park. So we have uh, some very stable income throughout the year from the mobile homes. Those are always there. But then we have winter Texans, as we call them, people that come down from Michigan and Wisconsin and even from Canada. And they come down typically for at least a month in the winter, many of them for up to five months in the winter time. They have very nice RVs. Some of these RVs cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, but, uh, but they come into this, this community. Breeze Lake is on a lake, uh, which is nice. And it has a, a pool, a jacuzzi, a clubhouse, laundry facilities. Uh, it's just a really nice uh, park. And we're uh, about to uh, visit it again, probably next week. This time I'm going with my kids and we're gonna go in our own RV uh, that we're renting. Um, so we're going to have the full lifestyle experience in the RV, in the community, and we're going to put our kids to use, uh, put, put them to work. Um, this park does not have a uh, dog walk area in it. The, we bought another park in, uh, in Brownsville also called Sunset Palms, another nice park. It has a dog, dog walk. So I've told my kids, we're, they're going to work in the family business. They're three, ages three, five, and six. So we're going to have them like spreading rocks and maybe put in a little like plastic fire hydrant for, for the dogs. So my kids are going to actually help build the, the dog walk park. So they'll the kids at a very young age at that park will start working in the family business. Uh, but anyway, that's just a particularly nice, well-located park. We got it. Uh, at a very good price. It appraised for uh, a bit more than we paid for it. So it's nice to have on paper anyway, a profit day one. And uh, we still think there's more 
upside uh, in it from getting it more full and maybe bumping the rents a bit and maybe billing for uh, some, some of the uh, utilities, uh, but just a, a really nice park, good management team, just a, a really good off-market uh, acquisition. There weren't brokers involved. We sourced this deal ourselves, which is generally the best way to, uh, to find deals is, is to, to, to find your own and not, uh, not pay what you have to to buy a park through a broker. Wow, that's awesome. We're definitely, definitely dwelling into the quick rounds. Is that You're like coming down to, to, to Brownsville, you let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll get an RV space for you. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're, we're close by. We're in Houston, so we're close by. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first question. What makes you Jefferson unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? You know, uh, so we're all far more similar than different ultimately is, is my view, but I have always thought differently about um, investing. Uh, you know, for instance, I have a fancy MBA from the Wharton School of Business, an Ivy League institution. Um, I think I'm, I certainly was the first uh, person and may, may still be the only person uh, from, from my school that works in the mobile home park business. Um, you know, it just made a lot of sense to me uh, why this is a good business. Um, so I've never been afraid to, you know, think different, frankly, as Steve Jobs suggested we all do. Uh, I've never been afraid to, to think different. I've probably been much less of a crowd follower uh, than many other people. And hence, here I am with my fancy pedigree working in a very unfancy business, uh, but I love it and uh, I'm making good good money for my investors, good money for me and improving all the parks for the tenants, right? Our, our parks become cleaner and safer. So uh, it, it's good to have a win-win-win situation, investors, tenants and me. Uh, and, and to be doing it again in such a quirky business that, uh, that, that not very many people are in. Yeah, I see you got a bunch of books behind you. So, you know, what was the last book that you read? Yeah, good ones was, uh, oh, it's, it's down here, Sam Zell's Am I Being Too Subtle? So that's Sam Zell's book talking really about his whole life, uh, which does involve mobile home parks he's done far more things other than mobile home parks but he has done done that so that's a particularly good book um just talks about again how he got into real estate how he thinks about what makes a good investment uh ultimately a lot of that is scarcity uh which again mobile home parks uh benefit from because it's now basically illegal to build any more mobile home parks. So there is a scarcity of mobile home parks. It's one of the reasons he also bought uh, an Exeter uh, Cable. It's some unique co company that, that makes like cable TV cables. And again, there's scarcity uh, there, I think maybe with some of that company's patents and things. Um, what I actually did with that book for the first time was to actually not read the book, but I did an audio, you know, books on tape. I don't usually do that. I usually like to, you know, underline and read an old fashioned book. <clears throat> so maybe that's something else that makes me unique, Ola, is that I still, when I have time, read physical books. 
Uh, but this one I did books on tape because Sam Zell reads it to you. So you're hearing Sam Zell tell you in his own voice what his life has been all about. Um, so I, I'd advise that for any of your listeners, get, get the book, get the book on tape, let Sam Zell read you and tell you about his life in his own voice. Fascinating, fascinating. So you've got your kids, as you mentioned, you've got all these parks you have to run. You're a busy man, what do you do for fun? You know, uh, I do things with, with my family. Um, uh, so we are, as I mentioned, we are, I think late next week, headed to Brownsville, Texas in a rented RV. So uh, the beautiful thing about working for yourself in real estate is that uh, I, I can just take time. It's not so much time off. It'll be half, maybe half work, maybe half vacation time in, in the park. Uh, but we all get to go together. Uh, we also, mostly my, my wife, homeschools our children. Uh, so, and really only the six-year-old is in school. But, uh, you know, we'll probably like pass through San Antonio. We'll teach our kids about Texas history. We'll see the Alamo. We'll see some of the other museums in San Antonio. I think that's where we'll pick up our rented RV. We'll drive four hours down to Brownsville. We'll put the kids to work in the family business in the park. Still, we're right there, like right near uh, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX launch facility is just a couple miles away. Uh, so if there's a if there's a rocket launch, you know, we'll go and see that and teach our kids about rockets and how satellites work, you know, our very basic understanding of space travel. But hopefully the kids will actually see a rocket launch right there. Um, anyway, so just doing family oriented uh, things like that. Um, and then <clears throat> uh, again, I'm an old married guy now, but maybe a couple times a year, I still manage to get out with my buddies and go have dinner uh, or play a little golf but almost all of what I do for, for fun in one way or the other revolves around my wife uh, and kids at this point. Yeah, I can relate for sure. Yeah, <laughs> if, if there's somebody listening to us and thinking, wow, I really like Jefferson, I wanna get connected and get to know you more. Um, what's the best place people can reach out, get to know you? Yeah, so the best thing is probably just to come to our uh, website, which is parkavenuepartners.com and uh, they can do two things. At the top of that page, top center, they can click a button and join our mailing list uh, and be kept abreast then of uh, deals that we're buying. Uh, again, we think in another couple months, we'll be launching uh, the fourth fund, uh, roughly May, May or June of 2021 here. Um, so join the mailing list. At the bottom of the page, they could also just email me directly. There's like an intake form and they can just put in their contact information and any questions, what have you, at the bottom of the page. That's all at parkavenuepartners.com. Um, and then as you alluded, I also started the industry's first uh, podcast. I've also got the uh, largest mobile home park investors group on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, host the industry's calendar of events, which you can sync right into your, your, your calendar. All that is at mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. They can, they can connect to all that there, mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. And connect with me on LinkedIn, do that too. Yeah, no, Jefferson, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today and learned a ton myself. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay.
Thank you, Ola. Bye-bye.